Today's show is sponsored by Stephen Betts' new book of poetry, Sound Off, a book of jazz, 78 poems on 78 jazz musicians. These intimate, engaging, funny poems make forays into the philosophical, the personal, and the profound. Bet has produced a double album of minimalist meditations on 78 musicians, a book of poems celebrating music, but essentially the poems are for readers. No jazz expertise required. Learn more at stephenbett.com, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-E-T-T dot com, and find Sound Off, a book of jazz, at Amazon. I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session. With our dad, Jason Crane. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 432 for Monday, April 7th, 2014. In just a moment, I'm going to make a big announcement. Lots of big announcements in the history of the jazz session, I realize. This is a good one, so stick around. On today's show, my guest is saxophonist Ed Rosenberg III, who actually also recorded the show. So thanks, Ed. Thank you to the following Kickstarter donors who helped make this season possible. This is the final batch of names to read. Starting with Mark Shalansky, Virginia Transu, Ned Corman, Jeff Letterer, former guest on the show, Jonathan Greenstein, Kyle Gassiot, The Newsroom, Sharantha Bedegay, uh, also a guest on the show, Bob Sharkey, James Osborne, Brooke Swainson, Jeff Bradfield, also a guest on the show, Dave Summer, Adam, no last name, Michelle McCumber, Josh Sinton, Lee Rice Epstein, Anat Cohen, former guest, Craig McGorry, Libby Edwards, David Christian, Terry Hinty, Nadia Von Massau, Jonathan Matz, Jerome Sabah, former guest, Julie White, Melanie Bennett, Yejin Lee, Kevin Calabro, Scott Emmons, Jeff Newell, Josh Rutner, former guest, Rick Hirsch, Gretchen Gustafson, my sister, Mark Corrodo, Albert Wildman, Bill Anchel, former guest, Diane Janes, Brian Shaw, David Galea, Ron Fundingsland, Scott Gilliam, and Matt Marowitz. Thanks to all those people and all the other names from the previous shows this season for making this season possible. Remember, you can support the Jazz Session even now by becoming a member. $5 a month gets you free MP3s and other exclusive content. I'll be uploading a couple today, including one by today's guest, Ed Rosenberg III. So be sure to join and get your password to the Members Only section and get that free music coming to you with every show. Thank you to Gina Thompson and Ann Braithwaite, who both joined since the last episode. You can join by visiting thejazzsession.com slash join. That's thejazzsession.com slash join. If you get this show via iTunes, or even if you don't but you just have iTunes, please rate the show in iTunes. That helps it move up the rankings and makes it easier for folks to find it. Don't forget you can comment on the post for this episode itself at thejazzsession.com. And in fact, be sure to check that post for videos from Ed Rosenberg's various projects in addition to the ones that we talk about on the show. Well, actually, including the ones we talk about on the show. There's just lots of cool videos there, so be sure to go to thejazzsession.com and see the post for this episode so you can watch those videos. Here's the big news. Starting with this episode, the show goes back to its original weekly format. That's right. I'll be putting out a new episode every Monday starting today. So you'll have lots more of the jazz session after a year away, essentially, while I was in Alabama and then every couple of weeks and there was a little break in there even. Now things are regular enough that I'm able to go to New York once a month, record a batch of interviews, and put out a show every week. So thank you all for making that happen. I'm very excited to announce that and looking forward to continuing through the rest of 2014 with a show a week. Today's guest is Ed Rosenberg III, and he is involved in eight zillion different projects, one of which is his band Glue Gun Optimism, and we'll hear some music from that band from their new record and talk about that new album. Here's the music right here, followed by my conversation with Ed Rosenberg III.
My guest is composer and saxophonist Ed Rosenberg III. It's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. And I have to thank you. Uh, you know, I'm never shy about showing behind the curtain of the jazz session. And right now, we're, Ed is kind enough to actually be recording this on his home system because out in the other room, my recorder is not functioning. And <laughs> it's possible that this is the only one of the five scheduled interviews that will actually happen this weekend. So I'm, I'm extremely happy that we're able to do it. Um, I want to start off talking about uh, an album called The Warming from your band Glue Gun Optimism. And yeah, uh, it's an album I was telling you before we started recording that I just really, I really love. I think it's a, it's a really fascinating record. Cool. Thank you. And I thought maybe uh, people are going to be hearing samples. They will have just heard one, as a matter of fact, as they're listening to the show. But maybe you could just talk a little bit about your vision for this band. Because you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to have a... Uh, a habit or a, a knack for forming ensembles to realize some particular musical idea that you had rather than having one ensemble play every kind of music you can think of. Hmm. Um, so first of all, you can correct me if that's not true, but then talk about what Clue and Optimism um, represents. I never thought about it in those terms, but hearing you say it, I guess it sounds, it seems right, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, Glue Gun Optimism came about... Um, it's sort of a long story. I guess I'll just give you the shortish version. Um, but a, a while ago, some years ago, I got really interested in um, tuning um, where equal temperament comes from, how pianos are tuned, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I started working um, working on singing and playing um, in very precise tunings, very um, just intonation. I don't know if you're but uh, whether or not I am, there are probably people listening who won't be. So just give us a quick uh, some definitions of um, equal temperament and just well, um, just intonation is tuning intervals um, to match their um, equivalent in the overtone series. So it's a more natural way of tuning the way that sound actually works. Um, equal temperament is a slight adjustment that we figured out in order to make twelve notes fit evenly in an octave okay but if you followed um the overtone series naturally it wouldn't quite work out to 12 notes so we kind of adjusted it to make it work and that's what we that's how we tune our pianos that's what our whole kind of system at least in the west is based on now but anyway i was interested in the purely tuned intervals and so um i began working on singing them and playing them and um assembling scales with them and I got really interested in Indian classical music that use that uses that and um so I I, I thought it would be really interesting to have a band <clears throat> that's really focused in its its um pitch material and it and its tuning. Um a lot of times in jazz um or improvised music there's so many notes flying around um sometimes for me personally i get a little overwhelmed it's hard to know what the center of things are um so i thought it would be interesting to have a band that has a lot of improvisation but that is limited um in terms of pitch content and tuning so that everybody is free to improvise but it's all very controlled so it's a it presents a unified um i guess what's the word um harmonic or pitch content um i i guess this is sort of a long-winded answer but but that was my sort of idea behind it if that makes sense <laughs> yeah so which is interesting because i mean that's a very uh kind of technical or heady explanation of the origin of music that then does not come out at all sounding heady and technical so I'm interested about that process of translating what you just said, which is, you know, all, you know, fairly intense ideas about theory and tuning into then music that humans perform and other humans find enjoyable to listen to. I mean, this is not just experimental music where everybody's like, let's play right. as close to right. just intonation as we can. Okay. And now the next pitch, it's not like <clears throat> that at all. I mean, it's actual, it's actual tunes and that sound like a human being made them. And um, Yeah. So I, I guess I'm not sure. I also really liked the idea of um 
I really like the idea of um, music that's accessible to to people. Um, I feel like from my, my younger self to now has been a slow progression toward making things more accessible, um, being more sympathetic with the audience or focusing more on the audience. Um, and so now when I try to write stuff, even though, like you said, I have this sort of fancy academic sounding idea as the very first seed or, or of the idea, um, I still want to present it in a way that people can just listen to and enjoy and they don't need, I don't need to explain all that to them for them to get it, quote unquote, you know, it's just music for them to hear, um, what what that means to them is is up to them but um so you know the seed idea was just the seed it it's not the it's not the whole thing sure you know so can you talk about then what happened after you had this seed idea did this did it necessitate a new way for you of thinking about writing music in order to be able to express these concepts yeah the the thing that i really focused on <clears throat> was um, playing along with a drone, um, that's also something that happens in a lot of Indian music. Um, they'll have a, a pitched droning underneath everything, so it kind of keeps everything in the same sound world. So I really liked that idea. So having a note, a single note that is sort of the center of the song or section of the song or whatever, and then everything is played against that. Um, so to write a lot of songs, I would just have my keyboard holding a note for infinity and I would play and improvise along with it and still in within this sort of pitch area that I was interested in with the tuning ideas and all that and then just see if I could kind of come up with an idea you know that that I like the sound of within that world and you know sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but that was sort of the beginning I guess um now it's kind of maybe grown a little bit beyond that. And uh, the ideas for the songs themselves might come to me before just forcing myself with the, with the drone. Sure. But I guess that's sort of the idea. <laughs> and, and talking about uh, intonation and the way that you were before, does that, does that re- necessitate playing the saxophone differently? Is there something different about the way you approach pitches or the way you tune pitches as you're playing? Um, only in a small way, I guess. Um, the saxophone is a very imperfect instrument. (laughs) Um, so it's already, it already kind of wants to be out of tune. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like learning the saxophone, you spend 20 years just learning how to wrestle it down to the ground and make it plain tune, you know? Right. Um, but so, so making, you know, the difference between what I was saying before, like equal temperament and a just intonation when it gets down to it is very subtle, very small. So those kinds of adjustments are already being made on a saxophone um, in other ways to just compensate for the imperfection of the instrument. So the ability to kind of move the pitches around is already something that we saxophone players are doing. So it's really just about being aware of the sound that you're going for and aiming for that.
how about in a group setting? Glue Gun Optimism has multiple horn players um, and other instruments. And the I'm just interested in how they interact kind of in this new sound world. Yeah, the well, the goal of just justly tuned intervals, um, I had to sort of let go at a certain point just face with the reality of a band because if we're if we have a keyboard player he's playing keyboards that are going to be equal tempered you know so sure. it's it's going to be held back in that way but that's okay the 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 justly tuned thing is more of my like a concept that i focus on um and everyone in the group is aware of that idea but it's not it's not so important that it's it's going to ruin things if it's not there you know yeah um but but as you said before, the other horn player, the trombone player, James Hirschfeld, he just coincidentally, around the time that I was getting into interested in these tuning things, he was as well. And so um, that was that seemed perfect to me because he's really he's better at this stuff than me. He's amazing at really keying in on, on these um, these intervals and making it making it perfect. So I'm really psyched that he plays in the group um and it just kind of worked out that we were both interested in that so um all that being said when you listen to it it's not really something that is even there per se it's really just the idea behind it you know yeah i i guess i'm sort of making it sound smarter than it really is maybe (laughs) well but in a way i think that's the achievement if you hadn't told me those things that you just told me there's there's nothing about the music that would have suggested those things were behind it. Certainly there are things about the music that suggest some sort of unifying thought is behind it because mm-hmm. it sounds it, it sounds very composed in a lot of places and it really sounds like somebody's vision. But there's but it doesn't suffer for having all of this academic thought behind it. I mean I think as I said to you before, I think the music is full of both this really powerful kind of meaty precision and also these places where it's just gorgeous and I think all of that stuff can be behind it, and yet my experience as a listener was just purely kind of basking in the result of it, which mm. was, I think, very musical and very human, very relatable. Wow, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. just mention as a bit of uh, jazz session housekeeping that uh, james hirschfeld who ed was just mentioning has been on the show and uh, you can look in the archives and find an interview with oh him. great he's actually been on three times because he's also been on twice with the respect success so, oh uh, nice yes so respect one of that one of those three peats but he has his own episode that folks can look at great talking about precision uh you first came to my notice uh, back in our shared rochester days mm-hmm. uh, through jersey band which is a band many people might have heard of and uh is a band really like no other that I can think of um, combining just, you know, metal and uh, wind instruments and all of the best things. And a band that <laughs> uh, the, one of the things I like most about Jersey band is it's a band that you really can't sit in with. Uh, I know people sometimes do, but it is a band that's about being a band and that is really about people who know each other intimately. I think both 
I think it's fair to say both as people and also as musicians so that the sound of Jersey band is a sound of only Jersey band and hmm. no other things. And I kind of can hear that in glue gun. Um, I don't know as much about the history of that band or how much it's you know worked as a unit, but there's definitely still that idea that this is music, you know, this is music we worked on and music that we are actually executing in a, I think in a in a, I don't like the word precise in the way that it makes it sound robotic. I don't mean that at all, but just yeah, in a, maybe specific. Yeah, specific. Yeah. yeah, we are making the hits when the hits are supposed to be there and that kind of thing. You know, right? Which right. I really dig. It just it sounds like a band, like an entity. Yeah, yeah. I I really uh, thank you for saying that. I, I mean, I that's something I really like uh, um, about having groups is that idea of having them be a band, like you say, and. Um, not just a um, a session kind of group that just does a gig and reads the charts on the gig, you know, which is also fun, but it's cool for me. I just really enjoy working with the same people, um, especially, you know, both Jersey Band and Glue Gun. All the guys are good friends of mine, and um, it's just great to work with friends and be able to work for over a period of time with the same guys and really focus on music. Um, I'm psyched that in glue gun, these guys are willing to play all these songs. You know, I feel very honored that they're putting in the time. Uh, you mentioned James. We should definitely mention the other members of. Glue oh gun also. Yeah. yeah. So, um, on drums, um, Alex Wyatt is our drummer. He's a really great drummer in New York city. I met him playing with Bengalina. Do you know Bengalina? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ben's been on the show also. Oh, yeah, great. So, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, he plays in Ben's band, Salo. Um, so I met him through that, and we did a few other things together. And I just really like the way he plays. He's he's a great guy. Um, he lives in a story, actually. Oh, nearby. great. Um, and then on bass is uh, Simon German. He's an Irish fellow. Do you, do you know Simon? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You, you know all these guys. It's <laughs> so funny. I oddly enough do this for a living. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, Sorry. that's fine. I didn't um, mean that in any way. Right. I'm just saying, yeah, it's, it's a small, it's a small town in, in, right. in the jazz world. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So Simon German is great, um, and the keyboardist Justin Carroll. Um, oh, I don't know, actually. He um, he and Simon are are friends. Uh, they're both from Dublin, and I randomly met them on this very random gig that I got um, playing saxophone and beatboxing. If you can believe it, nice. <laughs> um, for this dance show um um do you know eric biondo mm-hmm. i was subbing for eric biondo he he did the first tour of this and he needed somebody else to fill in so i went and did this and so it was playing duo with justin carroll and that was the first time i met justin carroll but we, we became good friends since then that was maybe six years ago and uh so it was totally random that i met him and this strange beatbox gig um but we've played together tons of times since then and then he moved over here and Simon moved over here, so uh, it seemed like a good opportunity to do a project with those guys. And did Glue Gun form organically, or did you say, okay, this is the project I'm doing, and now here, these are the specific players I'm going to ask to do it? Or how did, how did it come about as an, as an entity? I think it started with, um, I think I had maybe three songs or something, or ideas for songs, and I asked everybody to get together to just try some stuff. Um, I think that was what the first thing was. I the seed was kind the seed of the idea was kind of in my brain, and I was trying some things. So I th- wanted to have a rehearsal to just try some stuff. And yeah. And did you know, you know, thinking about where you thought this music might go, did that then suggest okay, so I need these kinds of players or these specific human beings? How does that work for you? That's a good question. Um, I guess yes and no. In a way, I like I said, I was just really interested in playing with these people. Um, so, and I really respect them as musicians. They're all so great. So, just even just that fact that I really respect them as musicians, I knew that they would do a great job with this music, you know. So, I guess it's kind of both, you know. I trusted them. And after we played a little bit and we, you know, their input, it's not like this, I'm the king of this project, you know, I mean, I, I write the, the music, but 
their input is enormous in the process. A lot of times, um, I mean, the first thing that happens when I bring in a new song is after we play it once, I'll say, well, what do you guys think? You know, because <laughs> it's easy when you're writing music to lose perspective on things. So, and they'll often suggest things that I immediately say, yes, that's better. <laughs> let's do, let's do that. Um, so, um, and that's how it was in the first, the first time we got together, you know, I said, well, what do you think of this idea? This is my kind of concept. And how do you think this could go? And, um, yeah, I guess we just took it from there. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to switch tracks for a minute if we can and, and talk about Jersey band who, for some reason in the seven years of this program have never been on the jazz session, which is just a horrible oversight on my part. Cause you guys certainly should have been, oh. I don't even know how that happened. But in any case, uh, before well, at some point, everybody should be here. But um, but anybody who's listening to this show who doesn't know about Jersey Band needs to. So I hope that you'll say some some things about the band. And... Yeah, Jersey Band. Um, Jersey Band for me was really a f- is really it's almost like my home group in a way, um, if that makes sense. Uh, it almost feels like my family now. Um, it's the oldest band, you know, that I've ever been in. We were all very young when we started, I think, 19. Um, and you're 74 now. People probably, from right. your youthful voice, people wouldn't right. know. But, yeah. I sound youngish, yeah, but... that's a long time. Yeah. I'm very old. Yeah. So, um, no, so that's, you know, 15 years or something. And so um, that band was really a big part in um, forming my musical concept my musical identity or even just my identity as a person you know you hang out with so many people a certain group of people for so long it really influences who you become you know so but anyway that's jersey band the band but musically i feel that's part of it because we all when we first started um you heard the first record i'm sure, sure. um it was much different you know than where we ended up it was much more of a jam band kind of funk thing and that's what we kind of wanted to try at that time and so we did that for a while and slowly our um our musical sensibilities sort of collectively began migrating in these different ways and we slowly got into this heavier thing and this more prog rockish sort of precision thing that like as you said and and then it sort of got into a metal thing and it's it's really funny how these things evolve um one of us just had a little bit of a heavy metalish kind of a thing in one song. And then somebody else was like, Oh, I'll put something like that in my song. And then over a few years, then it's next thing, you know, Brent is screaming and we're almost (laughs) like a real metal band.
that's funny that phrase almost like a real metal band because I actually I think Jersey band would make a lot of metal bands just shit their pants I mean <laughs> Jersey band well, thank is, you it's so tough that I yeah it is a real metal band in every sense I think it's fun too because the that I mean obviously this is not a brilliant statement on my part but that's not music that you imagine being played by a front line of horns yeah that's that's part of what I think was really great about it is that I felt like while we were going in this metal direction, it really felt like we were in new territory, you know, for a horn band. When we started in the jam band kind of vein, there's a lot of those, you know, and at that time in the late 90s, there there was a huge scene of jam bands. I'm sure there still is. I mean, that's weird to say. Yes. Of course, there's there, that will go on forever. Beyond civilization, there will be jam bands, right? Exactly. The last surviving group. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we, it really felt as we were developing these metally kind of ideas for the saxophones and trumpet that it was new, you know, it was, it felt new to us anyway, this pushing the, the horn sound in this heavier kind of direction felt like a new thing that you could do with the horn. So that was really exciting for us to be trying to push ourselves in this way that we hadn't really heard um, heard other bands do, you know. So I forget what your question was, but that I th- was that an answer? Yes. I <laughs> okay. I think so. I'm happy Sorry. with it, yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's ask the judges. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that idea of push, you know, just pushing yourself into new territory because that – uh, you know, knowing what I know about you and the areas in which you've worked, that seems very much like a hallmark of who you are rather than, you know, just in, dig yourself a, a deep and determined trench in one place. You seem to be much more comfortable. Fi- I mean, your bio includes phrases like took up the hammer dulcimer and then, you know, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> right. like, uh, it is. Yeah. You just, you seem like a, a, a person of many parts and I really, I really like that. And I, I wonder if you, do you find yourself getting restless or what is it that drives that? Um, I feel very conflicted about that actually in a lot of ways. Um, Because I, there's, there's one part of me, I, I just really love music so much and I love kind of seeing it from different angles. So like you said, the Hammer Dulcimer last summer, this theater group that I had worked for the previous summer playing saxophone um, they were hunting desperately for a hammer dulcimer player. And I had known them from the previous summer and was trying to help them look. And then I sort of thought, well, what if I just kind of went for it and maybe I could convince them to hire me as the hammer dulcimer player. And so I looked into it and it didn't look, it looked like maybe it would be possible for me to learn it. So before I had ever even touched one, I got this gig as for a whole tour. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it was just really exciting for me um, to try to try new kind of things to to get away from what I'm used to, you know. But on the other side of it, I also get mad at myself a little bit when I do that because I love going deeper and deeper into the saxophone, you know. And over the years, just finding new things and spending as much time as I can with that. So it's a real conflict, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe to my downfall, but I really. I really just like trying lots of different things and uh, seeing what happens. Uh, you've done a fair amount of work with theater and dance and kind of yeah, things outside I guess the, it, the norm. It was. It's not something that I ever really hunted for, but it just sort of happened, and it's been really fun to, to do stuff with that. Will you talk about some of your other theater work? Sure. Um, I I got an opportunity to work with this um this theater company in new york um on a play called hot lunch apostles in 2012 um the name of the theater company is totally escaping me right now and it's it's um a very well-known company Uh, anyway it'll come to me but this play was really interesting i got to be um sort of an actor in the play which was slightly terrifying but um was that because there was a part for a musician exactly. written into the there story? Exactly. There was a okay. part for a saxophone player, and they needed a real saxophone player so that it would be real. So I was mostly playing kind of accompanying scenes, wandering around the stage, but I had a few lines. So it was my first sort of acting experience, um, 
So that was really cool. And I also, around the same time, worked in uh, Kamala Shankaram's opera Miranda. She's a composer in New York, an amazing um, singer as well, and accordion player. Um, so I got to work in her opera, which also involved a little little nugget of acting. So that was like 2012, for some reason, was my year of acting. <laughs> my little bit of acting, which I think I'm surely terrible at, but but it was fun to be involved anyway. Um, and yeah, so I did those two sort of theater things, and I've done this um, summer puppet show for a couple years now. That's what the Hammer Dulcimer was for that I was talking about. Um, this great company, the Meadowee River Theater Company, they do this summer tour every year. This, um, this guy, Ralph Lee, makes these amazing puppets, and he's been doing it for years. They've been doing these summer tours since the 70s. And um, Is this like marionettes or Muppet-style puppets or something I'm not it's envisioning? It's sort of a or... mix of everything. Okay. I have very limited puppet knowledge sure. to, <laughs> in, um, to technically describe, but it seems like a mix of all sorts of things. Some of them are enormous. All the performances are outdoors, so oh, okay. there could be a 15-foot tall oh, wow. woman operated by three people. It's really amazing, actually. And um, I've been involved in that for the past two summers. Um so and were you playing music someone else wrote for that or did you compose music or a um, mixture yeah the music for both of those was composed by this guy neil kirkwood he's a musician in the city he's okay. also awesome um yeah so i guess that's about it theater wise at least i can think of off the top of my head. yeah one of the reasons i wanted to ask about that was just uh that's a place where your music whether it's composition or performance or both is integral to the audience's experience of the show, but not the sole part of the audience's yeah. experience of the show, and possibly not even the major component of their experience. Right. And so I wonder what that's like for you, both as a writer and then as a performer. It must be in a put you in a slightly different space than you would be when they just come to watch you play the saxophone. Yeah. It's it's both a relief and difficult. <laughs> um in a way it's nice to not have the spotlight, you know. Um it takes a little bit of the pressure off, I guess, to not be responsible for carrying a whole concert or show. Um, but at the same time, when, as the musician in that context, you s- mentally, I give more weight to the importance of the music than there really is because it's all coming from me and or the group that I'm playing with. And so my focus is so much on the music that I imagine it as having more importance than it really does <laughs> so it's almost disappointing in a way to put all this time in and create this music that i may be really excited about or proud of and then it's really just kind of a sprinkled in in the background or whatever but you know that's part of the deal yeah. but it's, it's a funny kind of situation and you mentioned uh, doing short film work as well right yeah i've been lucky to to do a couple short films for friends um over the years uh, a couple friends of mine that went to n y u film school um i helped them um i did music for their you know student films um and that was great it was really amazing um also the sim- similar kind of experience of trying to find the right music that's not the focus you know yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, from that, I've actually I've done a couple uh, commercial sort of thing, jingle things for like web videos and then randomly a South American TV commercial. Yeah, you know, like you do. Right. <laughs> um, but similarly, that was the same kind of thing is trying to find something that feels right for the background, but is just, you know, underneath everything. Thank you. 
Um, I want to come back to something you said a while ago, which is feeling like you spend the first 20 years kind of wrestling the saxophone to the ground. And will you say something about what that experience has been like for you? I just, are you constantly discovering new properties about this instrument that you've, I mean, you've really spent your entire adulthood and a fair portion of your childhood yeah, coming to know. I think definitely. I think it's true with all music, maybe just with anything in life is that if the more you get into it, the more you find, you know, the more subtlety there is, the it's infinite, these things. Um, that's like what I was saying before about sometimes being frustrated with playing in a lot of different things or doing a lot of different things because I could see, I could totally see getting just sucked into the world of the saxophone and playing it for eight hours a day and just having a blast, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's really... Uh, I mean, I can only speak about the saxophone, but I, like I said, I think every instrument has this where it's got, it's got such a, um, a variety of characteristics that you're slowly learning and learning how to change or how to make, make come out, bring them out. You know, some things about the saxophone, maybe I'm getting in the way and I just need to let the saxophone do the work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, really long story short, it's, it's, an, infinite, um, it's an infinite pursuit for sure. <laughs> and how do, you know, how do you know which new territories you want to go into? How, what is that process of actual discovery? A lot of it is practical because some, for me anyway, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll come across something and I'll think, wow, that – that would take a long time to master, <laughs> you know, say I do something accidentally that would take a long time to master and would be really amazing if I did master it. But like a rough calculation of how long it would take to master it, maybe it would take me five years of just focusing on just that. And for me now, I I don't have the time, you know, so I'll write it down in a page in my notebook and some maybe come back to it every once in a while, but I have to just, I have to just let it be for the time being like it can't go down every road you know <laughs> can i put you uh, kind of on the spot to just give an example of what one of those kinds of things might be sure um well one thing that um i'm really into now this is one that i'm i'm starting to get into now is um on the saxophone you know you're changing the pitch by putting down your fingers closing pads closing holes on the instrument um and a lot of and usually you're just closing the hole pretty fast so that you get a clean um change from one note to the next but um since i've been listening to a lot of um um indian classical music and the singing that it's very um maybe slippery isn't the right word but it they bend they bend their notes around a lot when they sing from one place to the next. And I really like that sound. So I've been trying to find ways to do that on the saxophone. And one way that I've been working on is when moving from one note to the next and closing the pad to instead of closing it quickly, closing it extremely slowly so that the pitch very gradually moves to the next note. And it, it's really difficult to manage because there's all sorts of air issues that come into play and it wants to cut off and it really doesn't want to do that it's the saxophone is like what are you doing you know this isn't what i normally do so that's something that i'm um trying to get into now but it's very difficult i could see how it would be really cool to to master it but i'm far 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 from mastering it and are you talking about microtonality or is this something even different I guess technically that. it's microtonality. It's filling in the space between two notes. So um, I'm, I'm not thinking of it necessarily as trying to tune things in quarter notes or find notes in between the notes. It's more about the effect of moving from one to the next. Sure. So you're, you're hitting all that stuff on your way, but it's more about a smooth journey, you know, between two goalposts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess technically it's... It would be, could be considered that. This has absolutely, I, I think, has nothing to do with music. But do you have a tattoo of a series of dots on the back of your hand? <laughs> I do. <laughs> it actually goes up my arm a little ways. Will you say something about that? Sure. Um, I, I don't know when I first started to, but I used to have a recurring dream 
that I got this tattoo. Um, and describe it for people who can um, see it. it's a it's like a dotted line that starts on the side of my palm and kind of continues up my wrist and around my forearm. Um, yeah, and I just had this dream randomly, and I kind of liked it. And when I was younger, I would actually just draw it on my hand with a pen to just kind of look at it. And I don't know how many times I really had the dream, maybe five or something, over the course of maybe a couple of years. And then one day it occurred to me after having the dream, um, I think I should just go get this tattoo. And I, it wasn't something I had ever really planned. I never really thought of myself as getting a tattoo. But it just, I don't know. It, my dream self wanted me to get this tattoo for some reason. So I just got it. And are they evenly spaced or? Um, it's very imprecise. Okay. Um, when I, it, it ends there Which, by my and, elbow. Yeah. Um, and the dots get a little bit bigger. When I went into the guy, to the tattoo place, I did it in Rochester actually. Um, I just explained to him what I wanted. I think I actually drew it on there with a pen. And I went in and I said, this is what I want you to tattoo. He said, okay. And so he just copied what I had drawn. So it's very, very imprecise. Yeah. Just kind of done by eye, um, which I kind of like about it. It's not, it's not completely perfect. Is, is there any, I mean, do you have any analysis about that dr- dream at all? I don't even know if you believe that dreams have meaning other than your brain just processing things, but any idea where it comes from? You know, I never, I never really looked into it. I suppose I should, since I acted on this thing, it'd be a shame to find out that it means I'm going to be a mass murderer or something (laughs) (laughs) i hope that's not the case i'm almost scared what i'd find but but yeah i never really looked into it i I, should i just i find it interesting uh even just having heard you talk now for the last 40 minutes about i mean you just you seem to be a person who gives things incredibly specific thought and that that tattoo to me seems like it is kind of a pictorial representation of specificity i mean it's a series even though the dots are not precisely measured it's a series of very precise points across your skin and, and it just hmm. it seems to kind of fit with you personality wise i don't necessarily believe that dreams represent meta images or anything like that i don't know if they do or don't but it just i it did not surprise me what the first time you lifted your arm up and i saw that you had this series of dots i just hmm. thought oh yeah that kind of makes sense to cool me, so. well that's cool yeah i think <laughs> Um, are there other projects you want to talk about that I haven't uh, haven't really covered? Other musical things you're involved in right now? Yeah, um, sure. I've got a couple a couple things going on. Um, so Jersey Band, you know, and Glue Gun Optimism. Um, Glue Gun Optimism. I'm really trying to focus on a lot nowadays. But um, I also have this other band called Heart of Barf, which is almost a subgroup of Jersey Band. Um, Paired down to just saxophone, drums, and um, metal style sort of screaming vocals. Um, and that group is sort of like a grindcore kind of music, but with saxophone instead of a guitar. <laughs>
we modeled it after um, these bands, uh, Pig Destroyer, <laughs> which is an amazing band name. Um, Pig... I mean, Heart of Barf isn't really that bad either as a band name. <laughs> Heart of Barf. Quick story about the name Heart of Barf. Alex Hamlin came up with that name. Who's as, a member of Jersey Band. Yeah, as, as a possible title for the Jersey Band Christmas album. When when we were recording this Christmas album, we were trying to come up with um, a name for the album, and so it got really weird really fast. And that was um, one of Alex's suggestions, and it just always stuck in my head as just an amazing name for something. <laughs> and so then this band came up, and me and Brent Madsen, also in Jersey Band, and the the vocalist in Heart of Barf, we thought man, this is the band. This is the time to use Heart of Barf. So I emailed Alex and I said, man, can I use that title because it's so great and I think it'd be perfect for this thing. And he 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 allowed us to use it, which Fabulous. I'm forever in debt because I think it's it's the best band name. <laughs> so will you, um, will you talk about your sax playing in Heart of Barf? And I have to be honest, I've never heard a recording of Heart of Barf. So is it, I mean, to, since you are standing into the role of a grindcore guitarist, I mean, is it a, like a lot of multiphonics and screaming and things like that? or what? Um, it's more, um, at least up until now, it's been mostly really fast. Okay. Trying to just play really fast and crazy, and the drums are just fast and crazy, and the vocals are fast and crazy, and the songs are maybe 30 seconds long. Sure. Little explosions. Um, so it, it's a fun band for me in that way, because it, I really, I'll write these songs that are 30 seconds long, but really hard for myself. So it'll be a way to kind of nudge myself uh, um, to really challenge myself on the saxophone and really push things a little bit. They're like sadistic um, etudes. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And it, it's fun to write an etude that's this sort of metal thing and to write these lyrics that are ridiculous. And it's it's a fun kind of side project. I recently got the bass saxophone, like I was telling you before we started, and um, I'm really excited to try and incorporate the bass sax in Heart of Barf because I think uh, the bass sax will be right we'll fit right in there <laughs> glue gun optimism jersey band heart of barf other things to mention um yeah i have this other project um with my sister actually called the green orbs um which is an anagram green orbs is an anagram of rosenberg oh nice um so that seemed like a good title for us but um that that project is all about um children's music um in recent years I've been doing a lot more music for kids um working with this app Miblio it's an iPad app and we wrote a couple songs that were then illustrated and used in this app so we've been um working on <clears throat> that for a couple years now and that's sort of tied in with this other project of mine called Song Baby which is about writing personalized songs for kids um which I've done a fair amount of now over the years, you know, a lot for relatives and friends and friends, and friends, um, just writing a, a song for a kid or a baby or even an adult. That's just specifically for them. You know, I really like that idea as a, it's nice to just give someone something that is f- just them. Just yeah. For them, you know? Yeah. A um, few years ago, I had that experience of someone writing a song for me, a, a oh, vocalist. Nice. And yeah, it was an amazing and that's an incredible thing to have someone create yeah. a, a piece of art that they created expressly with you in mind. Yeah, it's almost, I, I feel like it's maybe one of the more valuable types of composition in a way. Um, this seems like a total tangent, but do you know, are you familiar with the um, magician Ricky Jay? Oh yeah, sure. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ricky Jay. And uh he is really uh, he. There was recently a documentary about him, mm-hmm. um, which I saw. And we should just say to people, <clears throat> he's a magician, and he also is a person who kind of investigates and describes how magic works and investigates. Yeah, other kinds he's of very phenomena into it, and, and yeah. he's really amazing at it. He's an amazing sleight of hand guy. Um, but in the documentary, he talks about how um, he thinks really the ultimate type of magic is just one on one where you're where you're doing something for one person and you surprise them with it it's not a show it's not i'm going to do a magic trick for you it's you something just you just make something happen and you shock them you know that's to him was the ultimate and in a way i feel like that's the same kind of idea with song baby is <clears throat> except for the surprise element it's that you're giving somebody just for them a, a piece of music you know 
just just for them. And I, I really like that about it. Andy, Andy, Andy Anderson flying into space. Cause that's where dreams are made. Andy, Andy, Andy Anderson swimming through the sea. Wondering what his life will be. Going back to uh, Green Orbs, we never said your sister's name in that description, oh, yeah. so we should I'm say sorry. her name and what Heather she does. Heather Hirschfield, um, she is my sister, and she plays piano and um, writes songs and lyrics, and we we uh, have been working together. It's great. We never did anything like this when we were younger. Um, she's five years older than me, so I guess she was off to college by the time I was really serious about music. So it's nice to kind of <clears throat> be working together now in adulthood and is she here in the city also do you no she lives in jersey okay i'm I'm from south jersey um and she lives down that way near philly so it's not too far so i'll go down there she'll come up here or we do a lot through skype too sure and um yeah we're we're working on that a lot these days we have a new um song coming out soon on that app miblio Going to outer space, he had some things to do. He thought he packed up all of his things, but it seems he forgot a few. First, Joe had a meeting with the queen of planet Kachu. He walked up to her, smiled, and said, It's an honor to meet you. She looked right back at Joe. It's very nice to meet you. Likewise, but you've got something stuck in your tooth. I do? Always bring your toothbrush when you go to outer space. So you can show the sparkling glowing smile on your face. Joe spent the next day waiting in line to get his license renewed. It was his turn to have his picture snapped when he heard a voice say, It was Joe's friend Bob Quab, and he greeted Joe with a big lick. Now Joe needed to find some way to straighten up. You know, talking to you today, I'm just, I'm so struck by how many ways your love for music can express itself out in the world. I mean, what you've described today is, you know, everything from dance to puppet shows to this interactive app to writing songs for people to, you know, the Lungcore band to, you know, Blue Gun. I mean, it just seems like there, there's always some other door, some other way to bring your music to a new audience and to find a new kind of, window for it to be looked at through which sounds really exciting yeah i I mean i never really thought of it as a sort of way of promoting myself um in fact i feel like it kind of works against me in that way because maybe things would be better if i just only did one of those you know and pushed it like crazy but like i said before it's just i just really like all these things and i just want to try them you know and so why not why not just go for things you know i'm working on this other band right now that plays um 
doo-wop, like oldies, which is just my favorite music probably in the world is doo-wop. And uh, so I'm really excited to to try and come up with a way to to do to do a band that is doo-wop based. And that I mean that'll just be another thing to have. But I mean I just follow what what I'm interested in. You know, I guess that's. That's all we can do, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> My guest has been Ed Rosenberg III. It's been really fascinating and fun to talk to you, and I'm so glad you came on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been great to talk. music from Ed Rosenberg III and his band Glue Gun Optimism. Today's show is sponsored by Stephen Betts' new book of poetry, Sound Off, A Book of Jazz, 78 Poems on 78 Jazz Musicians. These intimate, engaging, funny poems make forays into the philosophical, the personal, and the profound. Bett has produced a double album of minimalist meditations on 78 musicians. This is a book of poems celebrating music, but essentially the poems are for readers. No jazz expertise required. Learn more at stephenbett.com, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-E-T-T.com, and find Sound Off, a book of jazz, at Amazon. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. If you need writing for your business, whether you're an artist, a musician, or any kind of business owner, please go to cranewrites.com. That's cranewrites.com and check out my samples there. I'd be happy to do writing for you. That's it for this week's show. Remember, the show is going to weekly starting with this episode, so next Monday there'll be a brand new episode. Have a great week and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.